I will tell you that I didn't know that being 62 would feel like this. I don't know what I did, but I wish somebody would have told me at 22, at least think a little bit about what life would be like at 62. I only need help with two knees and two shoulders and a mind that just kind of skips things every now and then, but some of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, fixing to be 62 years old. Very grateful that the Lord has allowed me, especially over these last nine years, to be here as your pastor. I cannot tell you how I am blessed. I can't understand all that God shows me, allows me to see, allows me to share with you, and for you to receive it so graciously and to just let me teach. And I know by talking to other pastors that they don't have this. They do not have the opportunity that you provide Jan and I each week. So we do thank you. There will be a particular moment in the message when I'll tell you what I'm about to share came directly from someone else, some other teacher, someone who taught me. I want to do that as often as I can because I want you to know that someone is teaching me and they're very amazing and profound things and someone speaks them and the Holy Spirit brings the revelation. But I want to begin this morning with a specific revelation that God has brought me through this ongoing study of the book of Revelation. Some of this is very difficult to explain. Revelation is hard for me anytime, any way. But God has allowed me to see some things in Revelation that I've never seen before. Bringing it from all just future events to stuff that actually is occurring for us to see and recognize right now. He's bringing it with such great profundity. It's so profound that again, I'm having a hard time processing it all in my head. And so I understand this morning that some of it will perhaps be very clear and some of it may just make you wonder what in the world did he just say? And has he lost his mind? Is this one of those gaps that he's talking about in his head when something just skipped a beat? I don't know. It could be any of those. I'll give you an example of one of these things that God has shown me. I've always understood that the reason that God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden was because of punishment, because they messed up. And because of their error, there had to be a consequence for them. And this was punishment. It was very strange for me about three weeks ago for God to bring a revelation. Again, revelation is something that's always been there. It just simply got uncovered. He brought this revelation that it wasn't punishment at all. That my God had to remove them from the garden and had to set guards so that they couldn't get back in. I've just thought... It was because of the punishment. What I really discovered was that God was keeping guard on Eden because he couldn't let them back in. Because now as sinners, now under the condemnation of sin, because of what they had done, if he had let them eat from the tree of life in this sinful condition, they would have been in that sinful condition for eternity. And again, we understand this simply today because it's not until our sin is dealt with it's not until we have been reconciled back to him by the blood of his son, what happened on the cross, it's not until then that he will give us eternal life. Because if he were to give it to us before then, we would be eternally in a condemnation of sin. It was the greatest act of love that God could show them when he wouldn't let them go back in to the garden. Again, what a strange change for me to recognize that it was an act of love rather than an act of punishment. In the last few weeks, it has also been a great revelation to me that we gain access to Eden and what Adam lost in those days 
that that has already been restored to us. Again, I don't know how it hits you because you might have already figured this out, but I could always see Eden as a place still separated, a place still guarded, a place where God would not let man enter. And again, it was so strange to recognize that because it was an act of love and not an act of punishment because of sin, that what has occurred is that God, by the blood of his son, satisfied that consequence of sin. And in the moment that we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we get to enter into Eden again. That we get to enter into that which Adam lost. What did he lose? He lost his ability to walk with God. What's restored to us as believers? Our ability to walk with God. The light that I believe that Adam and Eve were clothed prior to their sin, I believe they were clothed with the light of God. I believe the presence of God created that light upon them and they were clothed with his light. What was lost when they sinned, they lost that light. But what's been restored to us? We are are allowed to be the light of God in this world today because light has been restored to us. Let your light so shine before men. All of those scriptures, Zach was mentioning last week, the scripture where when Moses was in the presence of God, and he had received what he had received and he came into their presence. What was wrong? Why couldn't they look at him? Because his face was radiating only temporarily. His face was radiating the glory of God because he had been in God's presence. What if we get to live in God's presence spiritually? What will radiate from our lives again? The light of God. So if I see some of you coming with sacks over your heads, I will know one of two things has happened. And I won't define those two things. He lost his connection with God in the spirit. That's been restored. He's lost his ability to radiate light. That's been restored. All has been restored through the life of his son. And I find that amazing that we now have access in the spirit. Now, someday I'll get to live in the presence of God in my soul. When I die, my soul will get to live in the presence of God. My spirit already is. My soul will someday And the day when the resurrection comes and the rapture comes, my body will get to live in the presence of God. But right now, my spirit gets to abide in the presence of God. I don't know if that changes anything in you or not. I don't know if if it really shifts, but I want to tell you, it, it explodes inside of me when I consider that. Much of what I have considered to be off limits, that is still, it was something behind us, or it's something in front of us still prophetically given in Revelations, something that we'll experience someday, I'm beginning to realize by the truth that God is showing me that that is untrue. That that which he promised us that looks like it's some future reality, it was really designed to be ours right now. That I can be, according to Revelation 5, when it speaks of the 24 elders, representing the priesthood. We are the priesthood of the believers, according to 1 Peter chapter 2. That is describing us. We are that priesthood. We are, I believe, the depiction of those 24 elders that are already abiding in the presence of God in that throne room because we have access and can go boldly and have already been seated in heavenly places, according to the scriptures. I want to tell you, when I began to see this, it began to just do crazy things in my head that we have access and now, because what did John the Baptist come and say? What was kind of the first words that we remember him saying? The kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. It's here. The king has come. I want to tell you, I believe that that was more than just words. I believe John was announcing the reality of a kingdom and a kingdom connection that you and I were expected to experience. What happened when Jesus was on that cross? What happened to the curtain that was over the Holy of Holies where you could only go once a year into the Holy of Holies? What happened to that curtain? It was torn so we could have access into something permanently that was only temporary before. All of those things are telling us that we have access into a kingdom of heaven. And I want to ask you, if we could today pick us up and take us physically into that throne room, to take us physically and set us down in the presence of the lamb that was slain, would anything change? What would happen to us? I promise we would begin to sing a new song, a new kind of song we'd never sung before because to see him, to recognize the gift that he gave to us when he put himself on the cross, opened his arms and said, I love you, crossed his feet and said, I will stand here and die for you. Why? Why? Because something had to be done with my sin. Somebody had to be punished for what I had done. Someone had to pay the weight and the, for the consequences of the sin that I had committed. Everything I owe against that sin was placed on him. Everything each one of us individually owe to pay for the sin we have committed was placed on him that day. He bore it all. He became sin. He didn't become a sinner. He became that sin. So what would happen when he died? That sin and its consequence died. I'm no longer bound by it. That's what he did. I don't think we would ever be able to be in the presence of God. And I'll be overwhelmed by that reality. I can remember several years ago, some of you might have been there, but when Rex Clayton was our pastor, Rex loved to have Easter sunrise services. Rex liked to get them in motion and really liked for the rest of us to do it. He showed up and enjoyed it, but Easter sunrise service, I still got stuff at my house, <laughs> extension cords, control boxes, everything that we had. The crosses are still out here in the I think out here in the garage that we used, Robert Dalton was Jesus one of those mornings, a cold morning, because we had to get there before the sun came up. And I can remember one of those Sunday mornings, and I, it might have been when Robert was on the cross. I can't remember. We did it for several years. But there was a shooting star that went straight across that cross. And I had, James Fort and his son had brought a lamb. And as I sang, watch the lamb, James and his, his son and another little boy walked this lamb across the football field over to where the cross was. And there's a place in that service where the cross was laid down and you could see the person being laid on it. And then the lights would go out and all you could hear was the sound of this heavy hammer hitting this piece of steel. That little lamb began to cry. They'd just taken it behind the bleachers, but in that silence, in that dark, you could hear the sound of the hammer and you could hear the sound of that lamb crying. There's no way, even knowing that it was just a lamb crying. I mean, you could hear the weeping in the, in the stands as the people were recognizing what was happening in the moment. That that lamb, every year that sacrificial lamb brought by every family, the best of the best would have its throat cut. You see, when they saw it into the throne room, that's what they were seeing, a lamb as if he had been slain. They knew a price had been paid for them. And they were overwhelmed and sang that new song. Well, that's the background 
When I was listening this past week, when I get in a place where I just need to be fed, one of the places that I go is that I listen to Graham Cook. I love his accent. I just love the way he sounds. I love his teaching. I love his understanding of God's nature. So I was listening to a short message by Graham Cook, and I saw in his teaching a new aspect of what it actually means for us to be in that throne room in his presence right now. So Graham Cook was the teacher. The Holy Spirit was the one who delivered the truth. And I thank them both for what they have given me. The Old Testament speaks of a culture of visitation. We know that the Holy Spirit during the Old Testament couldn't indwell believers, couldn't indwell people of faith because their sin had not been dealt with. All they were bringing was lambs and bulls and those things required. But there was no one to actually pay the full price for their sin. So the Old Testament believers, we know this from many places within the scripture, were held in Hades or Sheol. When Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. That's just an English word, the word paradise. And it doesn't mean heaven. It means a place of death. Jesus said to the thief, today you will be with me in Sheol. Because who was there? All of the Old Testament saints were there. They couldn't go to be with the Father yet because their sin had not been fully paid for. They were still under a condemnation of sin because the blood of bulls and other animals couldn't do it. They had to wait. So they were standing there under a promise that someday someone would come and pay the full price for their sin as well. So Jesus goes to Hades, to Sheol, same place. One word's Hebrew, one word's Greek. He goes there and he tells those who have been held there that the price has been paid in Ephesians says he took those who had been captive. He took them captive and took them to the third heaven. So we understand a little bit that the things of the Old Testament were simply visitations because he couldn't indwell them because their sin was not completely atoned. They had to wait. So we understand this story. So the, uh, where the Old Testament speaks of visitation, it creates this thought of seasons. I'm going through a season of learning or a season of challenge or a season of exile or a season of restoration. And we watch that in the Old Testament as the children of Israel would move from kind of one season to the other. But that was because there was a culture of visitation. Now, the New Testament speaks of a very different culture of habitation, not visitation. God didn't come to visit us. God came in the second advent God came through Jesus to inhabit us, to come and live in us because the sin now being paid for left a clean vessel by which and now which the Holy Spirit could come live in this vessel. So the New Testament is a testament of habitation and not visitation. So we studied this many times and we know it to be true. His Christ by his spirit indwells us and promises never to leave us are to never forsake us. He's not coming and going. Once he's invited in, he stays in. Because of this, and I'm guilty of this as anyone, I have spoken many times to tell you of the season that I'm in. But seasons always speak of temporary things. And I have been really challenged to recognize that within the New Testament, within the culture of habitation, we probably should not enter into seasons. Again, that's, I have to work through that a little bit. Still a little bit challenging for me. But I struggle, I can say that honestly, I struggle with this, the thought of seasons 
within this New Testament age. Again, I've taught it for many years. I've expressed it for many years that I'm going through one season in my life or the other. So I asked this question, should that be the case? And the answer that I finally came up with was no. I want you to go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I want us to talk about this from the scripture for just a minute. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll begin reading with verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now think about this. Understand to the best we can, what is he saying? That what's happening in our life right now, you and I, and I would even go back and say to you, if you have never taken that step and never became a believer, I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit is still working in you, working for you, working to to bring revelation to you and truth to you, and that you as well, saved and lost, are in the view of the heart of God, And he has a purpose in all that he's doing. It's not a season. It's a work to bring us into the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And I love this, unto a perfect man. Perfection is the the concept we struggle with because it's not doing everything right. As a matter of fact, the perfect heart before God requires that we recognize immediately that we can't do it because what, what is required of us? If God were to ask us to do something, he loves the answer when we say, I can't. He loves that answer. As long as it's followed by this, I can't, but God, you never asked me to. So I'm going to ask you, the one who can, to do it through me. Why? Because he only does perfect things. If I want to do perfect things, I have to let him do them using these hands, using this mouth, use this heart, use this, these feet to go with, use these eyes to see with, use these ears to hear with. He's the only one who can live perfectly and he's asking us to let him do it. And then it says, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we continue in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. Man, I tell you why that is such an awful description of the Christian world. Tossed to and fro. And man, it doesn't take much to toss us. It does not take much to move us. And carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, a lot of words in that, a lot of busy words in that. So I want to slow down for just a second. I want us to get it because I want you to understand something. I want to stand it myself. That what's happening in your life right now is not a season. What's happening in your life is part of bringing us into this unity. What's happening in your life right now, the challenges you face, the blessings that you're receiving, everything that you're going through is part of God moving you 
moving us together into this unity that he's talking about so that this description that he gives us in this last verse actually fits. Listen to this. From whom? From Christ, who's the head. From whom? The whole body, every one of us, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. How many of us in here are needed to complete the picture? Every one of us. No one is excluded. We don't get to step out of the picture as a believer. And I want to tell you, I'll even challenge you today. If as a believer, you don't want to be engaged in the building of this, which God is bringing together to create a body fitly joined together and impacted, compacted by everyone around us, man, you need to check something on your card because as a believer, God has placed that desire in you. It will look different in all of us, but he's placed it in us. Passage tells us, look at those words, fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, everything you're supposed to provide, everything you're supposed to bring, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. All of that is spoken about right now. That is not heaven someday when it looks like that. Heaven someday when we're designed to be unified. Heaven someday when we're supposed to fit together correctly. God is not talking about someday. He's talking about right now. How do we know this? Because we have to shift this reality that when he says that we are in Christ, in him we live, in him we breathe, in him we have our being. What he's telling us is that eternity has already come to us. We are already living in the eternal. Eternity doesn't start someday. Eternity doesn't start someday when I die. Eternity started long before that. And as a believer, I am already living and my mind needs to go there to recognize that I am already a part of something happening eternally. It's not going to start someday out here. That's not what Revelation is trying to tell us. Revelation is trying to tell us that has already started and we're already in the picture and the process is already moving. And to God, it is only one event. It's not a bunch. It's one event. And we're part of this event. So what difference does it make? I think it would make a tremendous difference in all of us if we recognize that the part that God gave us to play is not insignificant. And it actually would encourage me and to challenge me to live that identity that God has given, because I know that some of you are depending on me being what God designed me to be. And guess what? I'm depending on you. We depend upon each other because what should the church be the evidence of? That we are a body fitly joined together. Not about the busyness of church, not about the things that we do together. It's about being who God called us, challenged us to be. John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus makes this very clear. But the hour comes. What's the next word? And now is. The hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Is that a spiritual worship someday? When we get to be in the presence of God and according to what we have always believed about revelation that then that we would be able to do that, to sing this spiritual song. That is not what he says. It says the hour comes and now is 
that God expects us because we're already in this eternal moment, we're already in the presence of God, that I can sing to him in spirit and in truth, and I can worship him from a place beyond my mind and beyond my emotions because the spirit that now lives in me allows me to recognize and sing a song before my father. John chapter 5, verse 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the son of God and they that hear shall live. You hear it? When he says, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when those who were dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. That's not someday. That's right now. When those who were dead in Christ will hear the working of the Holy Spirit, the voice of God will begin to work in them to bring truth to them, to bring revelation and condemnation of sin, to bring the reality of the love of God so that we have that choice. It's promised that's already coming because we can live and enter into the presence of God. It's a tremendous reality. It is designed to be a truth that hits us immediately and not just someday. I ask again, would it make any difference if you woke up in the morning in the throne room of God, not conceptually, not spiritually, would it startle you to wake up in the throne room of God tomorrow? What would you do? Would it make any difference at all? Would anything be different if I woke up tomorrow morning to the sound of my father's voice because I was already in his presence? Boy, I hope so. I hope the answer comes with his immediate yes. Tremendous difference for that to happen. I hope that you will hear me when I share with you that we are already in such a place. That the concept is not just heaven someday, but it's God's presence now. I can't pretend that my life a few years ago wasn't radically changed when I moved from religion to the reality of his presence, having been saved a long time ago. But I want to tell you, God was not disappointed in all the years that it took me to finally come to that reality. I can't say that he was excited. I can't put that on him, but I can say it for me, how drastically my life changed when I realized that I get to live in his presence. And it really changed when I realized I'm already seated in the throne room of God. I have that kind of access to the lamb that was slain already. It's amazing to me. Our eternal life doesn't begin when we die. It begins the moment when we become spiritually alive in Christ. We are post-cross and post-resurrection. We are post-Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So what time does that put us in? It's not a season, it's a time. The New Testament speaks often of the times. So what time is it for us? We sang earlier about a day when Jesus will come. And we read throughout all the scriptures and his warnings of being ready. Because that day will come like a thief in the night and will come when we least expect it. It won't come with great fanfare, but it will come in a moment when it happens. No one on the earth will miss it. Because this time, He's not coming as a baby in a manger this time. He's coming crowned with glory. Nobody will miss it this time. Nobody will wonder if that's the King of Kings or the Lord of Lords this time. They won't look in a manger and wonder who it is. They'll see the horse and they'll see the rider and they'll know who it is. 
The dead in Christ shall rise first. I want to tell you, it's the time to rise up. You want to know what time it is for us? It's a time to rise up. It's a time to separate ourselves, not from the world. Please don't misunderstand me. This is the time when we're supposed to be deep into the world. This is the time when we're supposed to be separated from our own history. The history that is holding us back, the history that is stopping us. It's time for us to be separated from our own history, especially the brokenness that's found back there. It's time to step up into something bigger and bolder. It's time to step into something bigger and more profound than ourselves. I tell you, we have accepted for a long time that my life should be the sum total of all of my abilities. You look at my, the days, you look at my education, you look at my opportunities, you look at the skills that I have, the blessings that I've given, so that you can actually recognize over here that my life is the sum total of all those things I've been given. That is not the way it works with God. I believe Jesus' life is perfect theology. Look at Jesus and see what God is like. So what do we see? We recognize immediately that Jesus, fully human, having nothing more than you and I had, which was the equipping of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, fully human, his life and the sum total of it didn't add up to just the things he could personally and individually do. Why? Because the Spirit of God was producing in him and through him the greatness of his Father. Guess what? That's us. The sum total of my life is supposed to depict the capability of God, not the limitations of me. How we love one another, care for one another, demonstrate that kindness to each other. Be obedient to God and see the power of God demonstrated that we're the light of the world. Those things that he's called us to, that is the day. That is the time in which we live. We have a choice whether we're going to exist in that which God has already written about us or whether we're going to walk away. What we're learning is our place in eternity right now. We need all the revelation we get. We need all the prophecy that's spoken right now. We need all the truth because what we're receiving right now is preparing us for the balance of eternity. Not someday to be used. It's we're being prepared right now with the truth we're receiving already in, in the eternity that God has established. What we're learning is preparing us now for the encounters still to come. Not someday. Now. We are in Christ. Anything is possible. We are in Christ, so my problems are also in eternity with God. My problems, my challenges are also in the presence of God. If I'm there, my problems are. I love the story. Peter had some tax problems. Couldn't pay his taxes. What did God do? They go fishing. And he said, and by the way, when you catch that fish, open its mouth, take out the coin, go pay your taxes. Because where was Peter's problem? In the presence of God. It's amazing. Can he honor that which he says all things work together? Yes, because we're in his presence. Your problems and challenges that we wonder, does he know? Yes, he knows. If I'm in the throne room, if I'm in his presence, so are my problems. So are my challenges. All things work together. We are in Christ. We are already designed by God to be the majestic reality of his son. Think about that. Let me say that again. We are in Christ. We are in his presence. He has come to indwell us. So we are already right now designed to demonstrate to the world the very majesty of Jesus who lives in us. And we see ourselves as so little, so unimportant, so insignificant. And God is saying, no, because by you, 
I demonstrate the majesty of heaven. Wow, that's us. That's the moment that we're living in. The very majesty of God demonstrated in the person of us. We are in Christ learning, changing, growing. We are in Christ discovering the fullness of God. We are in Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are in Christ. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where your struggles are. But I do know this, and I can say this with all sincerity and simplicity, that God knows where you are. He's not missing anything. He's not frustrated by anything. He's not disappointed in you. He loves you. He loves you. God loves you. He wants you to know that he removed the barriers so we can be in his presence, so that we can walk with him, so that we can feel the glory of the light that just radiates to us. And he wants us to know it so that we can let that light so shine from us that those around us will see it and know how good he is, see his glory. It's not hard. We just have to believe it. We have to let this truth begin to change us, to saturate us, so that our life not in here, but our life out there looks very different. Not trying to be good, just letting God. Not trying to be kind, just letting God do it. That's what the world needs. Not our variety, they need his. We need to see him in us. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for the truth of this message that you have brought us into eternity already. And what that really means for us to recognize that that which we thought separated us has been removed by the blood of your son. The garden is no longer a guarded place, but a place that we can enter because our sin has been dealt with, reconciled by the blood, by the cross, by the sacrifice. Let us recognize that we can be in this throne room singing a new song because we see the lamb that was slain. We see the empty cross. We know the price that was paid. Not that your life was taken, but that you laid it down for us. Let that just penetrate for a moment. But I don't know what all you want to do, need to do in these final moments. I pray that each heart, each life would be open to you so that we don't have to have a prescription to know what to do. We just trust that you will do it that you will move, that you will stir, that you will change. In Jesus' name, amen.